This is Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Call the show now at 760-480-8477. Email us at officehours at wscal.edu. Now, Scott Clark. In the best of times, pastoral ministry is a challenging vocation. After all, one of the first duties of a faithful minister is to announce bad news in public. Pastors are among the first to hear when something has gone wrong in the congregation, when someone has become seriously ill or died. Nevertheless, ministry has become even more difficult during the COVID pandemic. News stories abound about clergy burnout during the pandemic. I've prayed for and with and counseled more than a few pastors struggling with issues in their congregations brought on by the pandemic. So I wanted to talk with one of our alumni to see how he has navigated the pandemic and how he might be able to encourage other pastors. Angelo Contreras first appeared on Office Hours a decade ago as a graduating senior. In 2012, he was called and ordained to pastoral ministry in and by Zion United Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This fall, Angelo took up his new duties as pastor of congregational life at the Escondido United Reformed Church, which makes Angelo one of my pastors. And he joins us now to talk about pastoral ministry during the pandemic. Hi, Angelo, and welcome back to Office Hours. Hi, Dr. Scott Clark. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm fine. Uh, well, it's good to have you in Escondido. It's good to have you on the phone. Before we went on air, we were talking about some of the challenges of uh, finding housing in the new economy and all the things that are going on. So, um, of course, we'll be praying for you and for the Lord's provision. But we're glad to have you here. It's good to be here. Thank you. It's been 10 years since you were last on Office Hours, and a lot of things have changed. But I don't know that the listener necessarily heard that episode. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how you became Reformed. Yeah, so I was uh, born in Santa Clara, California, San Jose, or largely the San Jose South Bay area until I was about 10, was living there and moved out to the valley with my family at that time. We were raised in a uh, Baptist church and my parents were faithful in that regard. However, I was not. I rejected my Christian upbringing as far back as I can remember. And so it was not until after high school and college that the Lord uh, convicted me of my sin, opened my eyes to my sin, convicted me and led me to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. At that time, went to an evangelical church, local, somewhat mega church, eventually was exposed to Calvinism and uh, immediately did not appreciate the doctrines of grace, rejected them, but eventually came to embrace them through my studies at which time me and a few friends began to look for a Reformed church. And we went to a Reformed Baptist churches, RCA churches, CRC churches, eventually found a United Reformed Church and uh, just really appreciated it, appreciated the pastoral teaching and care, appreciated the people as well. And that was there at uh, Zion United Reformed Church in Ripon, California. Well, that's kind of special that you were able to go back and serve the congregation where you were as a young man learning the Reformed faith. So tell us a little bit about how you decided you were called to pastoral ministry. Yeah, so I was a philosophy student prior to uh, coming across Calvinism. That's in part what made Calvinism difficult. It did not seem to comport with what I thought was a, a somewhat robust Christian philosophy. I always had the 
interest of going to seminary. It was something that I always kind of pushed off and saw myself eventually doing at some point in my life. The elders at Zion, a few of them identified that desire, interest, and some of the uh, teaching abilities and pastoral gifts, I'd say, in me. And so they directed me to pursue seminary. I was encouraged by the pastor and the elders and uh, eventually went ahead and followed their uh, advice and recommendation. Uh, it was sooner than what I initially had planned. And uh, yeah, at the time, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do after my seminary training. I was open to pastoral ministry, but it was something I really had to wrestle with. The internal call was a difficult thing for me. There was, you know, you know, the old uh, saying, the Spurgeon saying, if you could do anything else, you know, do that first. I kind of took that seriously. And so in my mind, considered that. And so what conclusion I came to was I needed to rely or lean on the external call more than the internal. And uh, when I, after seminary, passed my candidacy exam and then went on to receive not just one call, but two calls, it was confirming to me that I was indeed called to pastoral ministry, and uh, it was fantastic. What a blessing and opportunity to serve God's people in the uh, capacity of being a pastor. I'm guessing that since that time, over the years that you served at uh, Zion in Ripon, that your sense of internal call has developed. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's the way it often is. Don't you think that uh, young men go into ministry and lots of trepidation, and then uh, over time you begin to realize, no, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I'm called to be doing, especially when you're handling the Word of God and meeting with people. And uh, I know you were pastor of congregational life, so you were doing counseling, but you you were in the pulpit and uh, you're catechizing people. And as you're bringing God's Word to people, and seeing them to respond, that really does, I think, solidify one's sense of internal call. I know it was my summer internship that completely turned me around. Just being with God's people and bringing the word to them really gave me a sense, yeah, this is what I need to be doing. I can't agree more. That experience was uh, very much like mine. I had a summer internship there at Zion immediately after seminary, and it gave me the opportunity to really be immersed in ministry, at least as much as an intern could be. And it was eye-opening. And I saw the Lord bless the ministry, my work, and bless me in that work. And so it wasn't just humbling to be pursuing the position and seeing the Lord is calling me to that position, but then to see him bless the work and the ministry. uh, I mean, you can't respond any other way than to be all the more humbled by his graciousness in that regard. And so then you reflect upon it, as you say, and your internal call is all the more solidified. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. You're listening to Office Hours, and we're talking with Pastor Angelo Contreras, who is pastor of Congregational Life at the Escondido United Reformed Church. And we're talking today a little bit about what it's like to pastor during the covid pandemic. And well, when we first started talking about this two years ago, uh, I don't think anybody or few of us thought we would still be talking about the pandemic in the present tense. So let's talk about that and think about that. What was it like for you at the beginning of the pandemic as a pastor? How did your people respond? How did you respond? And um, I'm thinking about the sort of uncertainties and fears 
that your people were facing and that perhaps you were contemplating? Yeah, initially, the people were very gracious, very patient. You know, we were all in a place that uh, we had never been before and didn't quite know where we were heading by any means. I recall for myself the initially thinking, you know, this was going to be a few weeks and then uh, things would reopen. You know, you recall initially it was all about uh, flattening that curve. We didn't know how political things were going to be, which made things more complex as leaders within the within the church. And so it um, quickly, quickly got more, more and more difficult, I think, for just, you know, the average member of the church, but specifically for pastors, elders, deacons, those who were in office and uh, in leadership in various congregations. This is probably the biggest most widespread public health crisis that uh, we faced in the United States since the Spanish flu of 1918, so just a little over a century ago. And when you were in seminary, and I know when I was in seminary, we certainly weren't contemplating anything like this. We were thinking about hatching, matching, and dispatching, as my friend Don Trike likes to say. Mm. Uh, we were thinking about pastoral counseling. We were thinking about writing sermons and uh, you know, writing uh, catechism curricula and uh, making house visits and those sorts of things. When I graduated from seminary in 1987, we couldn't have contemplated that we would be conducting worship services online via computers. <laughs> I mean, it just we wouldn't have had any way really to think about that since when I graduated, computers were still relatively new. I remember when I told my grandfather in 1985, I was thinking about buying a, a computer and he had worked for IBM for 30 some years. And he looked at me and he said, you know, all he could think of was a, a giant, you know, Univax computer that filled a room. And he, he couldn't understand why his grandson thought he needed one of those as part of his uh, seminary education. So you find yourself plunged into, you know, conducting services online. How did you guys adapt up in the Central Valley? And the listener should know, too, that the Central Valley is, uh, you know, not exactly like the rest of California. There's a lot of diversity in, in California. It's not San Francisco. It's not San Diego. It's not Los Angeles. It's a rural area. It's a fairly socially conservative area. A lot of hardworking folks up there. So how in the Central Valley, how in Ripon did you guys navigate all that? Yeah, so initially when things shut down, we did what many churches did, and we went to the live stream avenue. And so we would stream via Facebook, YouTube, the services, both uh, the morning service as well as the evening service. And we did that for uh, quite some time, I want to say maybe a couple of months. Maybe it seemed longer than what it was. We would have a few people in the church at the time, very few. I think the maximum that we were allowed to, if I recall correctly, was 10 to 15. And so what we did was we brought singers into the church, those who were of the choir or singing background, so that they could sing along during the live stream service and they could uh, give those at home a sense of singing in the congregation. I thought that was particularly helpful for the church family as you know we were separated. After that happened for a few months, there was, I, I want to say in June of 2020, there was some reopening and uh, I think we were at a place where we could have about a hundred people in the church service at one time. And so what we did was we went to four different services. 
we would have two morning services and two evening services. And we had broken up people according to their districts, their elder districts. We had eight districts in the church. We would have two districts per service so that everybody had a chance to go to an actual service once a Sunday, once a Lord's Day. And uh, that seemed to help out quite a bit in terms of, you know, fellowship that people were really missing because of the shutdown. We did that for a few months. And then uh, I want to say those new regulations got tighter. And then we went outside for, let's say, uh, August and September, at which time the fires hit, weather started to change. And at that time, we went back inside. And we stayed open from that point on. We went back to our normal services. We got to a point where, you know, it had been going on for six months. And I think along with a number of other churches, I think the general sense was, wow, and, uh, you know, um, this has been made into a political matter. And it was difficult for us to continue. And so that was a huge challenge. And along with each of those decisions, I think, as everyone remembers, there was a lot of uh, disagreement a lot of challenges in terms of you know, people disagreeing with the way the leadership in the church was making the decisions. You know, some people wanted to always stay open, never wanted to close, right? Some folks felt very strongly about the virus and they thought it was a health concern. And so navigating those disagreements was tremendously difficult for leadership, right? It was, felt like um, at times you were always disappointing somebody some group. Well, and as you say, on top of that, so you have the internal challenges, as you say, disappointing one group or another, no matter what you do. You had the external threat, obviously, of the virus on the one hand. And then as you just casually mentioned, oh, and we had fires. So <laughs> it was uh, right. almost, uh, especially for folks in the central and northern parts of California, it's almost Job-like. So you've got virus and disease on the one side and then uh, uh, giant fires, which made it probably somewhat difficult. And the weather can be a little challenging in the Central Valley, too. In the, in yeah, the, in the it, it was very much a tumultuous time. And I think all of that coming together is what, uh, at least in our response, you know, pushed us, we felt, to going back into the church and reopening. Now I say reopening, but uh, it was kind of, you know, if you will, a soft opening. We opened up the fellowship hall and uh, we spread people out. We closed off every third pew, I think is what it was, something like that. It was, um, uh, let me think. Yeah, every third pew was open. That's what it was. Every third pew was open. It was a first come, first serve kind of mentality if you wanted to sit in the actual chapel. And if you didn't make it on time, then you would have to sit in the fellowship hall. We had chairs there spread out. We put a big screen in there. It's kind of like uh, you know, what a lot of churches do in terms of like a satellite campus, but it was just in the next room over, you know, from the Narthex. And that seemed to work out. That seemed to work out. We also encouraged people after the service to go outside, to fellowship out of the church, because we still wanted to be sensitive. We wanted to strive to respect everyone. But uh, yeah, that was another way that we responded at that time. The seminary has been a tremendous blessing to our church here in town. It's really been a tremendous blessing. So we, we're, we're grateful to God for that. Here at Westminster, our commitment is still to those solas of the Reformation. Sola Scriptura, sola fide, solo Christo, sola gratia, and supremely, of course, soli Deo Gloria. 
And not only is our commitment to those things, but our confidence is in what they actually express. On this particular occasion, Bob came up from Escondido, and he came up and he spoke on infant baptism in particular to a large group of college students. He delivered this lecture that was very well received and made quite an impression on a young man that is now here. Westminster was really the first encounter with Reformed church life. That, more than anything, kind of woke me up to the richness of the Reformed tradition. We have top-tier professors at Westminster. They've poured their heart and souls into making sure that they're bringing the best of scholarship and understanding to those lectures. Westminster Seminary, California, wscal.edu, 760-480-8474. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, His Gospel, and his church. One of the things that you mentioned in passing just a minute ago was this uh, question of isolation. And of course, our people in our congregations were certainly experiencing, especially early on in the pandemic, a strong sense of isolation, particularly perhaps in California more than some places. There was a hard lockdown and uh, people were encouraged at some points not even to go outside because there was a lot of uncertainty about how, in the early days, how the virus was transmitted. And there was a question about whether it was safe to be outside. And then there were pictures of government agencies bulldozing sand into skate parks and shutting down the playgrounds and, you know, taking down basketball hoops and things just to keep people from going outdoors. And of course, now I think we know that, as you were suggesting, outdoors is the place to be, especially in a place like California where you can be, but who knew at that time? So isolation was a problem. As a pastor, how did you try to address the isolation that your people were experiencing? Yeah, depending on the group, right? Whether it was the youth or the young adults or, uh, you know, the middle age and or the, the uh, senior members in the congregation, we tried to still connect with them. Me sp- specifically as the pastor of congregational life, I went to the phone. I was constantly on the phone or even uh, all the apps not coming to mind, but uh, the... Um, thinking about Zoom? I'm thinking Zoom, exactly, exactly. We use Zoom in a number of ways with our youth group. Adult Sunday School went to Zoom as well. We tried every way we could to continue to connect with people, even though we weren't able to, you know, so to speak, be in each other's presence. The retirement center there in Ripon was shut down completely. Nobody was allowed in or out unless they were uh, workers who um, had special, you know, credentials to do so. You know, they were tested regularly. I recall going to that retirement center and I would call the people on my cell phone while I stood outside their window and chatted with them in order to connect with them because I think, you know, they were hit the hardest. It was difficult because they were not allowed out at all and people weren't allowed in. We organized a couple times a hymn sing outside of that retirement center where we brought families young kids, um, young families, so that the uh, senior members who were in that retirement center could see people, and not just people, not just me as their pastor, but, you know, families in the congregation, because that's important as well to see the kids and see how they're doing. Again, we were outside, and so there was a little bit more freedom to do that. But a lot of it, you know, we used the technology that was available to us. 
you know, phone calls and uh, Zoom, FaceTime. My counseling that I did went to FaceTime and Zoom or, you know, in one of those apps. What's your sense now? I think we've sort of been through phases. And in my mind, I think we're sort of in a third phase. Who knows what what, what comes after this? But uh, we're in, a I think, sort of a third phase of the pandemic. So I think it seems appropriate to look back a little bit. But looking back, how do you think your people came through it? And what kind of effect uh, did it have on them? And maybe effect on them? How, how did it change them? And what's been the outcome so far, as far as you can tell as a pastor? Yeah, I'll speak to that in two ways. I think one, it caused the congregation to really appreciate what we have, the fellowship, the gathering of the saints, on a regular basis, Lord's Day morning and evening together in one place. You know, prior to the pandemic, you didn't think about that being challenged in the way that it was, right? You think of the persecuted church and the various ways that the persecuted church is challenged. But in America, you could imagine that happening, but you could not imagine, you know, something like a pandemic challenging us. We were able to still meet lawfully but we weren't able for health reasons. And so uh, it really, I think, caused the people to appreciate what we have in terms of meeting. Now, that also led to a number of complex issues in terms of what I mentioned already, agreements and disagreements. And I think what we learned through that is um, we struggle to disagree well within the church. I think the, the pandemic exposed that that maybe there was just a sense that you know we agreed so much that we didn't really think about the disagreements, at least within, you know, various traditions that we're in. I think the pandemic and what it exposed us to and the various challenges really, really showed that we don't disagree well at all. And that's an area that we really need to work on is uh, disagreeing with each other and doing so in a way that is still humble it doesn't lead us to demonize each other or see ourselves and each other in the worst possible way. And that was part, part of the challenge. And I hope and pray that we have learned something along those lines on how to disagree well with each other. Mm, I appreciate that. I think that's valuable. Obviously, we're called to love one another as Christ loved his church, and we're called to bear with one another's infirmities and uh, to be patient with one another. And uh, I agree entirely with you that the uh, pandemic has really stressed us in that regard. As you say, when we're not under those kinds of extreme circumstances, you know, it's relatively easy maybe to uh, get along. But uh, when you're under that kind of pressure, whatever underlying fissures there are sort of come to the surface. I think that's a very interesting point. You're listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Let me switch things a little bit. We've been talking about the congregation and how the congregation managed and how you were able to uh, love them and serve them through these circumstances. And I think that's good for the listener to hear how pastors have really tried to adapt and to continue to fulfill their vocation despite really obvious limitations. I mean, imagine being, a, you know, we're figurative shepherds. Imagine being a literal shepherd and then the government says, but you can't actually be near your sheep. <laughs> that would be that would be challenging to say the least. And so it is for pastors. In case the listener isn't aware, the word pastor is Latin for shepherd. And so that's how we think of ourselves. But how was it for you personally? You know, 
one of the things I have noticed over the last couple of years is that the number of articles that have been written about the stress that pastors are under and uh, the rising rate of burnout and uh, during the pandemic, and people have been predicting that after the pandemic, a large number of pastors are simply going to say, I've had enough, they're walking away. And so pastors have struggled with their own sense of inadequacy and loneliness and isolation. So, Pastor, how has it been for you personally? Yeah, it was uh, tremendously challenging, right? Uh, Entirely new waters, so to speak. I think how challenges come to us, you know, it's hard to know exactly how they're going to come. One thing I learned from it is as a shepherd, as a pastor, I think I have to be better I don't want to say prepared, just more ready for anything to happen at any time. So when it happened, I took, from my perspective, I think I took too passive of a position. I thought it was going to run its course. It was going to be short, and we would go right back into what we were doing. And that was not the case. And so I found myself behind so to speak, and having to catch up and reach out to people because, you know, it lasted for, well, we're still dealing with the effects of it. And in that time, you know, it was exhausting in a number of ways. I tell people in that 2020 year, I was probably yelled at more than uh, all the other eight years combined, you know, by my own sheep who uh, disagreed with me in one way or another or misunderstood me in one way or another. And it was trying. Well, they were, was, they were was, speaking the truth in love, right? That's right. They were exhorting. That's right. They were exhorting me in in one way or another. With some extra um, volume. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) Very much so. And, you know, as a pastor, you know, you don't want to bruise the sheep. And so uh, I strive to receive it well, but it weighed on you. It really did. And it was heavy time. It was a difficult time. And so, you know, like I think like in any trying time, you turn to the Lord you have to. And uh, maybe that's another thing that came out of this that was so good was, you know, the prayer and the pursuit of God in the midst of the last year and a half, two years, you know, in trouble. Where do we turn? Our hope is in the Lord. He is our refuge. He is our strength, right? Psalm 46. That's where we need to turn, whether we're uh, members or pastors, you know. And so uh, I like to think that I did that. And uh, I look back at the past two years, and uh, I've told people I wouldn't change it for anything. You know, the Lord providentially uses all things for our good, and that means for our sanctification to make us more and more like Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as difficult as the various things that we go through in our lives are, we have to look back at them and really see the hand of God working that good out for us. And, and I feel like I see that. It has been a great time. And I just hope and pray that I can take what I've learned and move forward and reapply it in a new and fresh way, particularly now where I'm at in Escondido, Escondido URC, and not make the same mistakes twice, right? We're human and we're given to not only mistakes, but, you know, sin and corruption. But, uh, Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ who delivers us from this body of death. And so we can still be very hopeful given all that has happened. And hopefully we are learning through what we face. Normally on Office Hours, we give the last word to the guest. But it seems appropriate this time to add a coda. 
This is my last episode of Office Hours. After 12 seasons, I'm turning over the microphone to someone else. I'm not going anywhere, but to other responsibilities, including those to my students and to my writing, dictate that it's time for me to retire from Office Hours. I want to say thanks to the seminary for taking the risk of allowing me to start Office Hours all those years ago. Back then, few people knew what podcasting was, and no one knew what the medium would become. I want to thank you, listener, for sticking with us as we found our footing. We've come a long way. In the first few years, we didn't know much about the finer points of audio production. In that regard, I want to thank the various Office Hours producers over the years for their skillful and faithful work. Rob Riccio, Jack Stoffberg, Jason Hinson, Nick Davis, and most of all, Brian Frick, who has been your loyal and faithful producer since 2014. Thanks also to the staff at Westminster Seminary, California, who have labored behind the scenes to help get the podcast to you. Stay tuned. The Seminary has a new host and more podcast goodness in store. Thanks for listening to Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe now to Office Hours in iTunes. Find all the shows at wscal.edu slash office hours. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved.